Well, happy Easter, Resurrection Sunday to you, New City Church. Who could have imagined that we would be in this situation even a month ago? But we're going to celebrate Jesus together because the resurrection is not just something we celebrate on Easter. It's something we celebrate really every day of the year, but it comes to maybe the climax today. So I'm really excited to celebrate with you. As I begin, I want to share a time in my life where I was nervous about doing something, but then it turned out to be a good thing, right? We've all been in situations like that, maybe a job interview, a performance of some kind, something that you were preparing for, you're really nervous about, but then after it was all said and done, you were really glad that you did it. Uh, for those of you that call New City Home, you know that Christina dumped me twice. And after the second time she dumped me, about a month or two after that, I was sitting there and I was thinking, this is, this is dumb. Like, we should be together. Well, I don't know why she dumped me. And I was talking to a mentor, a friend of mine, and I was telling him, I'm praying about what to do because, like, I don't think we should be broken up. This is kind of weird. And he just looked at me and he's like, Dylan, just go tell her what you think and let her say what she wants to say. And then you'll know whether or not you should be together or not. So I texted Christine and I said, hey, can we talk? And so after this college ministry event thing we were at, we, we, we uh, chatted together and I basically told her, hey, I think we should be together. Here's how I feel. Can't even remember exactly how I said it, but it was something to that effect. And then she responded to me by basically saying the same thing. And so we decided to take two weeks to pray about it uh, and not talk to each other because, you know, sometimes we like to over-spiritualize things. And about a week into that two week, like we're not going to talk at all. We were texting every day. We were like, this is dumb. Let's just get back together. And uh, so I was really excited to have that conversation. Now, it's funny, later on after the fact, Christina told me she thought I was wanting to talk to her because I liked some other girl and I wanted to make sure it was okay with her that I was uh, going to be dating somebody else, to which I told her, you dumped me twice, so ain't no permission do I need from you. But anyway, that didn't happen, and we got back together, and we were really excited about that. And I share that, this story, because this morning, as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, we're looking at this question. Should we be nervous about following Jesus, right? Should we actually be nervous about following him? If we follow him, are things in our life not going to go the way that we might want them to go? And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, the verses will also be on the screen uh, below me as well if you want to read along that way. Uh, John chapter 20, to give you some context of this, is the, is the first Easter. It's the first resurrection Sunday. It is a Sunday evening, Sunday afternoon. Uh, the disciples are huddled together in a room. And the door is locked and they're scared and Jesus is going to appear to them for the first time. Now what's interesting to me about the resurrection is that in my undergrad, I was a religion major. And so we studied all sorts of religions, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, all of them. And what was fascinating is that in all my classes, whenever we talked about Christianity and we got to kind of the end, like the resurrection, we never talked about it. Like it was like not even a thing that we mentioned. And I thought it was fascinating because I sat there and I was like, okay, I get it. Most of my professors don't believe this actually happened. But if you're teaching a class on Christianity, you have to talk about what Christians believe about the resurrection. And they didn't do it. And what I want to do for us today is I want us to talk about it and form our own conclusions about what we think actually happened. That's what we're going to do. And so John chapter 20, starting in verse 19, here's what it says. It says, when it was evening of the first day of the week, which would have been Sunday, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So what's happening here is the doors are locked, and the, John, the author of this book, is, is doing this for two reasons. It's showing us that they were afraid, right? They were afraid of the Jews uh, specifically. 
the Jewish religious leaders. And here's why. Because if they had Jesus killed, it was very likely that they would be coming for his main disciples next. So maybe they would also try to have gotten them killed or at least imprisoned. They would have made sure life was not comfortable at all for his disciples. And so they're afraid, not just because they're confused about what's going on, but they're literally afraid for their own well-being. And so the doors are locked. And what happens? Jesus literally walks through either the door or the wall. He somehow gets into this room without ever opening a door, right? And so the disciples are shocked. They're probably shocked by the fact that he just walked through the, the wall somehow. And they're shocked that it's actually Jesus. It's kind of like, it's probably not quite to this degree, but if you've ever seen the, you know, when uh, troops return home and they surprise their family, uh, the fir- first the family's always like, there's like a moment of disbelief and then they get really excited. I kind of imagine that's probably what's happening here, that Jesus had talked about this resurrection thing, but they didn't really understand what he meant, and they didn't think surely that that would actually happen. And so they're kind of shocked, and they're in disbelief, but then they see Jesus. And so they're surprised. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you were delightfully surprised. I can think of a time in my life when in college, since my birthday was in mid-May, it was after exams, and so our friends would always be gone before it was my birthday. And so one year, Christina wanted to throw me a surprise birthday party with all of our friends before everybody left for the summer. So she threw it in April. So I, of course, had no idea what was going on. I would not even have expected that because my birthday is not in April. And so April 14th, instead of May 14th, we go out to eat uh, and we walk into the restaurant. There's a table of about 20 people and it was a surprise. And I was shocked. I was like, wow, this is awesome. Well, after that, we, we left the restaurant, me and her. And I don't, we went somewhere, I don't know. And later on, we go back to campus and we go back into this large room and there's everybody again. And there's even more people this time. And I was shocked, a little emotional that people were there. I was like, I can't believe you guys actually did this. And it was awesome, but it was, it was probably somewhat of that, that feeling, right? Have you ever been completely shocked, but then surprised? That's how the disciples are feeling now. And so as having, with that situation unfolding, here's what Jesus says next. After he says, peace be with you, verse 20. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. In other words, he's physically showing them that it's actually him. Now, here's the thing. The Romans would have killed tens of thousands of people on a cross. And so crucifixion was not some new or novel thing for them. They never would have taken anybody down from the cross that wasn't dead. But just to be sure that the disciples knew it actually was Jesus, he not only shows them his hands where the nails were driven through, but also his side. You see, one of the unique things about Jesus's crucifixion is that his legs were not broken. Uh, for most of the people that were hung on crosses, after a while, the, the guards would break their legs and what would kill them was suffocation, not actually being nailed to a cross because they could not lift their bodies to breathe. Well, Jesus had died uh, quite quickly uh, compared to most after being hung on the cross because he was beaten and tortured really bad. And so his body was already weak. And so they, they don't break his legs. They kind of pierce his side and has, blood draws out and he doesn't move because he is dead. And so he's showing them that this literally is him. Like there is no mistake about it. You can see the nails that were driven through my hands and you can also see my side, which would have been a mark that only I would have had. Now this is significant and he's giving them physical evidence of who he is because of this point, that the resurrection of Christ is a historical reality. What we need to understand this morning as we celebrate the resurrection, as we celebrate Easter, is that the resurrection of Christ is a historical reality. Reality. This is not some, we just hope it's true. This is not some thing that we kind of make up to make ourselves feel better when life is hard. This is rooted in whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead. If he didn't, 
then we can go about our lives, live however we want, do whatever we want, because nothing ultimately matters. But if he did, then it changes everything. If he actually came in the form of a man, lived a perfect life that we could not live, and gladly, gladly laid down his life for us, and he received the wrath and the punishment that we deserve so that anyone who trusts and follows in him gets the grace of God. If he actually did that and proved that by resurrecting from the dead, then what this means is that the resurrection of, of Christ is a historical reality. We have to deal with it. That is really good news for our souls. He's showing them again, I have actually done this. And since I've done this, this changes everything. And so here's what he says to them again in verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. So after they're kind of freaking out, they can't believe it's him. He says, peace be with you again. He says, as the father sent me, as God the father sent me, I also send you. After, rece- after saying this, he breathed on them again and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. In other words, he's telling them that everything I've been telling you about who I am, now go and share this good news with others. Now, there's a lot of uh, kind of uh, discussion about what Jesus means when he says he breathed on them. We're not going to get all of that uh, into that this morning for time's sake. But basically, here is what is the author John is trying to tell us. He's not saying that the disciples or any Christian can forgive sins because you and I are not God and we cannot do that. What he is saying them is that as the church and as believers, as we go through word and deed and show people the gospel of, of who Jesus is and what he has done, that anyone who believes in the good news of what Christ has done and not in themselves will be forgiven. And those who reject the good news of what he has done won't be. Because again, it's not about what we have done. It's about what Christ has done. Are we willing to accept the good news, the grace of God that he has displayed through Christ? In other words, what, what the point of what, this is, what we're getting at is this, that what we believe about Jesus matters. So because it's a historical reality, because Jesus actually rose from the dead, we have to do something with it, right? The gospel is not just that God exists and not just that he cares about us. The gospel is the good news that Christ came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That is the gospel. The gospel, as we say here around New City Church, is that you have nothing to prove and that you have no one to impress. And so the gospel is you have to believe and trust and follow in Jesus. And that is what he's saying for those as you share the good news of who I am, as you tell people what I have done, and as they repent of their sins and turn to me, they will receive the grace of God that none of us could achieve on our own. And so he's saying, go and tell people that I have come to accomplish what I've always planned to do. And so here's what happens next in verse 24. It says, but Thomas called the twin, who was one of the 12, he was one of the 12 disciples, uh, was not with them when Jesus came. So that first night, uh, Thomas, for whatever reason, wasn't with the disciples. So verse 25, the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord, right? He's actually done this. He is resurrected from the dead. But he, Thomas, said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the mark of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. In other words, he's saying, if I don't physically see this on my own, then I will not believe what you are saying. Now, what happens, I think, sometimes as we read the Gospels, I think sometimes the, the disciples get a bad rap 
Because we, if we're being honest, the disciples were average, normal human beings like you and I. They were not special in any way. They were just people who had given their lives to Jesus. And so the way that they often responded are the very same ways that you and I probably would have responded if we were in that situation. And so you may be familiar with Thomas. He's kind of been nicknamed the doubter, right, of the disciples. He kind of gives the nickname Thomas the doubter because of this exchange. But the difference between Thomas and the rest of the disciples is that they had actually seen Jesus. So of course they believed that he had resurrected. But if they had not seen him, they would have been in the same situation as Thomas, right? Thomas was not there. They're telling him he resurrected and he doesn't believe them, right? Because it's like, how is that possible? People don't come back from the dead. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where somebody told you something and you're like, I don't believe it. That's not true unless I actually like see a picture or a video or actually in person, like see what you're talking about. I won't believe it. It reminds me of uh, when Christina and I, uh, when Christina first got pregnant, uh, we, were, we weren't necessarily trying to get pregnant, but we were about to. And she went to an OBGYN appointment and they were, it was a typical checkup. And they, you know, asked her, are you pregnant? Because there's certain, you know, tests and things that they, they won't do if you're pregnant or they'll do them in a different way. And she said, no, I don't think so. And so I gave her a pregnancy test anyway, just to be safe. And it turns out she was pregnant. And this was a shock because we necessarily we weren't necessarily trying yet, but but you know, it, so she comes home, she tells me, we're like, wow, this is pregnant. This is awesome. Like, there's a baby in there. This is crazy. Well, how did this happen? You know, a lot, all the motions that you go through if you have children when you find out you're pregnant for the first time. Well, a couple of days later, we come to find out uh, that the baby had passed. That Christina was no longer pregnant. And it was this really weird uh, exchange of emotions and thoughts, right? right? Like a couple of days ago, she had a baby literally inside of her, and now the baby is gone. And I remember being confused. I remember thinking, like, I don't even know how to process this. Like, this is just weird. There's a baby. We weren't expecting it, and, and it was there, and now it's not. And what am I supposed to do with it? And so it was, as you can imagine, it's just a lot of weird emotions trying to process, like, what actually happened. Well, a couple months later, we were trying to get pregnant. Christina actually got pregnant again a second time, and we were really excited about it. But the whole time, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, I don't know if she's actually pregnant because she was pregnant before and things didn't turn out, you know, how we thought. And so it wasn't until we actually had our first appointment with the OBGYN and they did the ultrasound and we saw the baby and we saw the heartbeat and we saw that there is a literally literal baby inside of her that I began to think, oh, like, this is real. Like, this is actually happening, right? I needed to see it in order to believe what was already true. And I, and I say that because I want to make this very important point, especially on Easter, and that is that doubt is a normal part of faith. What I want you to know, that it is normal and it is okay to experience doubt. It's okay to be like Thomas sometimes. It's okay to be like God I don't see you. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know where you are in the midst of this pandemic. Life is not the way that we would want it to be. God, what are you doing? Is there any good that could actually come out of this? Doubt is a normal part of faith. You and I are human. It's okay to doubt. If you read the scriptures, especially throughout the Old Testament in the book of Psalms, right? So many people love the book of Psalms. Why? Because it is real people who sometimes are doing all the right things and God is nowhere to be found. And they're like, God, what are you doing? God, are you even there? God, do you even care? Doubt is a normal part of faith. But here's the thing. When we doubt, we have to do something about it. 
when you and I experience doubt, we have to do something about it. What we don't want to have happen is we might think of things like the resurrection, for example, where we would say, well, clearly nobody can actually come back from the dead, so that's wrong. I doubt that happened. What I would encourage you to do is actually look at what actually happened historically and see, did Jesus actually do this? In other words, don't let your doubt prohibit you from actually looking, to, looking at what could have happened. And whatever aspect of your faith that you might be struggling with from time to time, it is okay to doubt. What we want to do is do something about it and not let that doubt eat us alive and kind of let it uh, compromise our faith because we never did anything about it. Let me give you an example. Uh, back, in Febu- back in February, when, la- when we were all still free to move around uh, the country and our neighborhoods and our cities, uh, I was at a church, planter assessment, a church planting assessment with Acts 29. It's our church planting network that we're a part of here at New City. And I came back home, it was a couple days, came back home, got home a Thursday night about 11 o'clock. And as I got home, brought my stuff inside, I opened my computer, I checked some emails and, and did a few things uh, for about 30 minutes uh, before I went to bed. And literally, as I'm walking into the bedroom to go to sleep, I hear this chirp. And I was like, that was weird. I wait around 10, 15 seconds. I hear another chirp. And I'm like, oh, one of our smoke detectors, the batteries need to be changed. And so I'm waiting again, hear a chirp. I'm trying to find where it is. And I'm like, where is this thing? Well, come to find out, it is the smoke detector that's in our living room that's about, I don't know, 12 to 15 feet like up, in the, up, up, on, the, up on the wall. And I'm like, okay, this is a problem because the tallest ladder that I have in my house is six feet tall. And on top of that, this ladder is older than I am. And I know that it's this wooden ladder that is super shaky that I probably should have thrown away years ago. But on the side of the ladder, there's this uh, sticker from 1990 from a car inspection. And I know the ladder is even older than that. And so uh, this, this ladder is super shaky. And I'm like, even if I get on the top of this ladder, which I should not do, I still can't reach it. I still can't reach it. And so I'm sitting there for about 10 minutes. I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do? I can't call anybody to get a taller ladder because it's the middle of the night. And if I don't do anything about this, I'm not going to be able to sleep. And it's eventually going to wake up everybody else, everybody else. And so about 10 minutes later, I have this brilliant idea. I'm going to get my kitchen table and push it under the smoke detector. I'm going to put this tall, the six foot ladder on top of it. And I'm going to wake up Christina, have her grab the ladder so hopefully it doesn't fall as I go to the top of this ladder, try to reach the smoke detector, change the battery, and put it back. Now, side note, the good news about being a pastor is that anytime something could go wrong, I always think in the back of my head, this could make for a really good story. So as long as I don't die, maybe I'll break a bone or something crazy will happen, at least I have a good story out of it. So I'll go wake up Christina, here's what happens, and here's a picture uh, of, the, uh, of the smoke detector and everything in our living room. So as you can see, from this picture, uh, there is on the top of the picture in the middle of the screen, there's a little white circle. Uh, that's the smoke detector. And so I had to get, I literally had to get onto the kitchen table, climb up to the ladder. Christina's holding the ladder. I'm reaching to the smoke detector and I get it. And then I put the battery in, put it back in. It takes about 30 seconds to do the whole thing. My heart's like racing because this ladder is not, and I don't, I'm, I'm okay with heights. If I feel safe, I did not feel safe. But long story short, I did it. I survived. And uh, hopefully, you know, at some point I should probably buy a taller ladder so in the future I can fix it. Now, I share that story. Why? Because, again, I had to do something about the smoke detector. If I didn't do anything about it, I wouldn't have slept. Again, the point is doubt is a normal part of faith. But wrestle with your doubts. Do something with your doubts. Do something with the resurrection of Jesus. That is what he's saying here. That's what he's encouraging us to do. And so here's what happens next in verse 26. 
It says, a week later, so after they had told Thomas that Jesus had resurrected, a week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. In other words, uh, Thomas, uh, the doors are locked and he's, they're frightened. Now, the reason that the doors are locked, and this is shown twice, is, is twofold. One, because the disciples are still afraid. Yes, they've seen Jesus, and he's alive, and he's back, and, and they've seen him, but they're still afraid about what's going on. Clearly, they're not quite sure how the rest of the religious leaders are going to respond to this. And the, the doors are locked, showing us that Jesus is walking through the walls again. So just as a side note, Jesus at this point is walking around with his resurrected body. In other words, many times people didn't recognize Jesus until he like spoke to them and told them it was him. And it's to show us whenever Jesus returns a second time, and he will do it, when we are in his kingdom, we will have resurrected bodies as well. I don't know what they will look like. I don't know how they will function, but apparently you can walk through walls, and I think that's awesome, right? So the doors are locked, and he says, peace be with you. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your, uh, reach, out to, uh, reach out your hand and put them into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. In other words, Thomas does exactly what any of us would have done in that situation. Jesus comes to him. He says, touch uh, the holes in my hands and the piercing in my side so that you might Believe. Now, we're not told if Thomas actually reaches out and touches Jesus at this point, and the likelihood is the sight of those markings in Jesus himself would have been enough. I mean, think about it if you're Thomas. You spent three years following Jesus. You literally have given your life to this mission, and you probably think your life is over. You probably think you're next. The religious leaders who are unhappy with Jesus are now going to come after you for blasphemy and all of these things, and you think your life is over. You don't believe it. You're told Jesus has resurrected, and you still don't believe it, but then you see him. And so what does he do? He responds by saying, my Lord and my God. In other words, we should not be surprised then that the disciples, after they meet this resurrected Jesus and they spend time with him before he ascends back to heaven, they go from hiding in locked rooms to literally giving their lives for Christ. All of the disciples, except for John who wrote this letter, who was tortured and survived, uh, gave their lives not just for claiming that Jesus was the Son of God, but that he actually resurrected from the dead. In other words, Jesus had so radically changed their hearts and they mind, their minds, and they knew what was coming towards them because of the grace and salvation of Christ. They gladly laid down their lives. Why? Because Jesus actually rose from the dead. And so here's what happens next, verse 29. Jesus said to Thomas, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have, who have not seen and yet believe. In other words, Jesus is saying, I won't be around much longer to go physically show myself to people. And it's actually more desiring and dear to God's heart for those who haven't seen Jesus to still know and trust him. Now, you and I can't see physically Jesus, and this is why John writes the gospel. It says this in verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. In other words, there's way more things that Jesus did that we can't even read about in our Gospels. Verse 31, but these, the things that they did, did write down for us, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his 
name. In other words, this book, book was written for you and for me, for all of us who have not physically seen the resurrected Jesus, to show us that what? Jesus gives life. That Jesus gives life. Again, this is not some feel-good story that I hope is true, that I just believe and life is hard, but it's actually true that Jesus gave his life for us so that you and I can experience life. In other words, if I could boil down what I want us to know this morning as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and what does it look like to follow him? It's this, that Jesus came to give you life, not take it from you. Jesus came to give you life, not take it from you. If we go back to this question, uh, should we be nervous to follow Jesus? I think sometimes we're nervous about this question because we think following Jesus will mean life as we know it is over, right? It's no more fun, that it's boring, that I have to do things I don't want to do, and I have to stop doing the things that I want to do. But could it be that because God is gracious and kind and loves us and knows what actually will give us life, that he uh, invites us to follow him, not to restrict us, but for us to actually experience life. And hear me, life with Jesus is not something you only experience when you die and go to heaven. Life with Jesus is not something you only experience when he returns and he reinitiates his new kingdom where it's a perfect life. There's no more pain, suffering, where we can walk through walls and life's awesome. Yes, that will be the pinnacle But we don't have to wait until we see Jesus, until we die and see Jesus face to face to experience life. That even in the midst of difficulties, even in the midst of a pandemic, that you and I can still be comforted, that we can still have uh, contentment, that we can still have peace, that we can still have joy even when our kids are driving us crazy and we're uh, stir crazy because we can't get out of the house. In the midst of all of these things, we can still experience life because of what Christ has done for us. And this is so true of the disciples, as I mentioned, that they literally went from hiding in rooms with the doors locked to laying down their lives gladly so that as many people as possible can see and experience Jesus and grow in a relationship with him and experience the life he offers. Here is, traditionally speaking, what happens to all 12 disciples? Now, some of this is more fair, verifiable than others, uh, but we have traditionally speaking, all of the disciples gave their life, not just for believing that Jesus is God like you and I do today, but for claiming to have seen him come back and resurrect from the dead. They went from hiding to this. Here's what happened to the 12 disciples. Peter, the leader of the disciples, was crucified upside down. Andrew was beaten and whipped, not nailed, but beaten, whipped, and then uh, uh, tied uh, uh, to a cross where he hung for two days before he died. Uh, James, the son of Zebedee, was killed with a sword. John, who wrote this gospel, was burned with oil, survived, and then sent to the island of Patmos to live in exile for the rest of his life. He lived a miserable existence, and yet, for what was coming to him, he said, this is worth it. Philip was beaten thrown in prison, and then crucified. Bartholomew, who was the disciple who replaced Judas, who betrayed Jesus, was crucified. There's two two accounts. He was either crucified or he was skinned alive and beheaded. Now, I don't know about you. Crucifixion never sounds good to anybody, but if the other option is being skinned alive and beheaded, maybe it doesn't sound too bad. But one of those things happened to the Bartholomew. Thomas was speared to death. Matthew was stabbed to death. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death. Uh, Simon the Zealot was crucified. Matthias was burned to death. And then Paul, who wasn't a 12, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, but he is the writer of two-thirds of the book of the New Testament, the author of Colossians, the book that we're currently going through as a church other than today on Easter. He was beheaded. 
What happened? They experienced something. They experienced life and they were willing to lay down their lives because they knew what was coming towards them and for them in Christ. And even as they walked through difficulties, they knew God was there. They knew they had his peace and his contentment. The last thing I'll read, last verse I want to read to you this morning, and it really speaks to where you and I are today. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1. Again, this is the disciple who was crucified upside down because he did not think it was, he was worthy to be killed in the same manner that Jesus was. Here's what he says in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is who you and I are today. That you and I have not seen him, but we've heard of him. We haven't touched his wounds, but we've experienced the goodness of who he is. And we are receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls because of Jesus. Again, Jesus came to give you life, not take it from you. And some of you today, maybe watching this, maybe you are at home and you decide to click on, maybe you're invited to join the stream with us this morning. Here's what I would say to you if you're not quite sure about this Jesus thing, that some of you today need to come out of hiding and you need to experience life. You need to come out of hiding and you need to experience life. The good news of the gospel is that God is king and you are not. And it's good news because, again, as we say often around New City Church, that if you believe in Christ and if you are in Christ and have followed him and accepted him as your Lord, him as the Savior of your life, you have nothing to prove and you have no one to impress. You have nothing to prove and no one to impress because Jesus is the supreme king overall and has done everything for us. But if you are not in Christ, then you have everything to prove and you have everyone to impress. And you better not mess up because God is perfect and on his throne and has a perfect standard that none of us can attain. And what does he do? He sends Jesus to live the life we could not live, die the death we deserved, and then ultimately he resurrected and defeated death on our behalf. If he did not resurrect, none of this matters. But because rooted in historical fact, he defeated death on our behalf, the response that we can only have is thanks and gratitude that we follow him to receive life. That Jesus came to give you life, not take it from you. And we celebrate every day, but especially today, Resurrection Sunday, the fact that Jesus is king overall, even over death. And the invitation is no matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter what you look like, no matter what you have done, no matter what may have been done to you, that God loves you and he cares and we see that displayed on the cross. Are you willing to today actually receive the life that God has for you, the grace and mercy that God has for you in Christ? Let's stop running. Let's stop hiding. And if you're a follower of Christ this morning, let's be encouraged that Christ came to do for us what we could never do from our, for ourselves. And so although we are home and we are not gathered together, we are still going to celebrate because the gospel still goes forth. The good news of who Jesus is cannot be stopped by a pandemic, by a virus, by even death itself. Jesus came to give us life, not take it from us. And the gospel is that he is king and the invitation is to come and follow him.